Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study that we're doing through the Bible. We are working through the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. Quite an undertaking. It's actually a 20-year project. And uh, we have been going now for six and a half years. We did the entire New Testament in just a little over five years, and we spent the last year and change working through the Old Testament. We've completed the book of Genesis. We are now into the fifth chapter of the book of Exodus. And um, Exodus is a fascinating book. They're all fascinating when you get down to it. But, but uh, just an amazing things are happening now, and, and they're about to engage um, significantly in, in the, the storyline as, uh, as we start with, with Exodus chapter 5 in just a moment. As I was uh, thinking about it today, though, those of you that were with me during Genesis, um, I was kind of thinking how quickly we forget stuff. And if you remember, when we did Genesis for the entire year, I said, there's, there's things I want you to remember, and uh, I want to see how well they stuck. So I said, in Genesis, there were four main events that we had to try and remember in Genesis. So let's see how you do. I'll give you the first one. The first one was creation, and then there was the fall, and then there was the and then the Tower of Babel. Very good. I'm so, see, that really makes me feel good that we did it. There were four main characters in, in Genesis I said you need to remember. I'll give you the first one. It was Abraham, Isaac, and, and, very good. And there was one main theme that was called the crimson thread of redemption. Started at the fall. It works its way through the entire Bible. You can watch it happen. And it runs all the way to the cross. And you will watch that thread weaving its way throughout the Scripture. We'll, we'll hit it time after time as we work through chapter by chapter together. Having said that, there are four things I want you to remember about Exodus. I don't want you to, you probably don't know these yet because I haven't like said it week after week after week for a year, but we'll start saying it that way so that when we're done with Exodus, you'll have a, hey, there were four main things in Exodus that, that we needed to remember. Those four main things are Passover, okay, the very first one, the parting of the Red Sea, the law, and the tabernacle. Those are the four main things that we're going to be looking at that I hope that will stick with you um, as you go forward so that by the time we've worked through a lot of Scripture together, you can think back, okay, Genesis, this is what was going on in Genesis. This is what was happening in Exodus. This is what was happening in Leviticus. This was what was happening in Numbers. I don't know how we're going to remember Numbers yet. Uh, <laughs> Numbers was the year we took a lot of naps. Do you remember Numbers? <laughs> and then uh, Deuteronomy, the, the pace picks up again. And then the judges, uh, and then Joshua first, and then the judge, and then it gets, and then you kind of slide into the kings a little bit, and it's like, uh, kings, and uh, it's a little repetitive. Um, I remember the very first time I ever read the Bible. I was a new believer, and I really, it was important to me to read the Bible, as it should be to everybody, but I wanted to, wanted to read it. I, I, you know, I, um, early after I got saved, I felt a calling, which was, you know, I, I never grew up in this thing. All that was weird to me, and I thought, well, let's, I, sh I should probably read the book. And, uh, and, and yet, you know, I was working and had a family, and I was working two jobs, and so I made this, I, I did this thing. And, and so every day I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, usually after a few hours sleep, and I read until I had to go to work so I could read through the Bible. I got to tell you, some of those mornings I would just pass out again, especially through Numbers <laughs> and then the Chronicles. <laughs> so, did you ever do that? And then like, what did I read? Have you ever read anything for like half an hour and then go, I don't remember anything that I read? 
So it's probably not the best reading, but that was my first time through. Um, but hopefully you'll remember things now as we go, and they will come back to you as we read these things. All right, so Exodus chapter 5 is where we're up to today. Um, so we've met Moses now, and, and um, you know, we, we know about his start and how he was, you know, born when they were killing all the Jewish male babies, and his mom, you know, made a reed basket for him, and they put him in the river, and uh, his sister was watching, and the, the Pharaoh's daughter came, uh, or wife, we're not sure, but any, anyway, one of them came and found the baby, and oh, it's a baby, and I'm going to keep this baby, and the sister said, I know someone that can nurse him for you, and she said, great, and so Moses got to be with his mom again, and she nursed him, and then when he was a little older, he went into Pharaoh's house, and he was trained, you know, in the best education of the Egyptians, and he had, he was a, had a life of, of you know, uh, favor and all sorts of other things until he was about 40, and then he uh, he had a, a sense of his calling that he was going to be the one that would set his people free, and yet he tried to do it sort of in his own strength right away, and remember, he kills an Egyptian, and then, you know, the, he, he gets called on that, and he has to go, and he takes off, and he runs and hides, and he had 40 years of an exile where he's married to four, he's had a couple of kids, and now um, the Lord has come to him in the burning bush and said, okay, now's the time, and so Moses is... Uh, spent some time arguing with God over that calling, uh, which we saw, which happens, and now um, Moses has Aaron with him, or he's about to have Aaron with him, and they're going to go, and they're going to get in front of Pharaoh, and um, basically they're going to tell Pharaoh that, well, here's what's going to happen. It seems like a pretty simple request. Moses and Aaron are going to go to Pharaoh asking for permission to take the Jewish people on a three-day journey into the desert to a place where they could worship the Lord. And, um, and so that's what they're going to ask Pharaoh. That's, what that, that's how it's going to get phrased. We want to go and we want to worship. And uh, we've got to make a three-day journey to get there. And so there's three big questions in this chapter that you're going to see that we'll sort of be working through. Um, the first question Pharaoh asks, um, and you'll see it when I read it, why in the world should I obey the Lord? That's Pharaoh's whole deal. So that's going to be the question he asks. You know, it's a reasonable question. The, the Egyptian people... Um, considered Pharaoh himself to be a god, and, um, and so why would their king, you know, obe obey a strange god anyway, and um, certainly not one that they even knew, and, and um, you know, we're going to see that this god calls Israel his people, and the Pharaoh's going to think, these are not your people, these are my people, these are my slaves, and, and, uh, uh, and you know, he's probably, you know, he thinks, uh, what kind of god are you anyway, because I got all your people here in slavery, so uh, you know that's kind of his first round of thinking that goes with that. His second line of questioning, Pharaoh's second big question that asks here is, why should the work stop? Um, the the Israelite slaves, and there was a lot of them now, was a great boost to the economy of Egypt, and it was a good thing Pharaoh wasn't about to give that up. And really, what what was being asked for here was three days out and a day to worship, and three days back. That's a whole week's work, and he's like, yeah, I don't see that happening either. So that's kind of the next thing. Uh, that's going to happen. And what you'll see is they ask for this time to go, and Pharaoh makes it harder on them. So you're going to see that's pretty, pretty interesting. And finally, at the end of the chapter, the next big question, is this one is asked by Moses, and he says to God, why have you sent me? Because it's not going the way he expected it to go. And uh, sometimes that happens too. You might be doing the right thing, and it may not go the way you expect it to go. We'll talk about that today. All right, that's the... Uh, to getting started. Here we go. I'm going to read Exodus 5. Not a long chapter, 23 verses. 
I'll be reading out of the New International Version. That's what will show up on the screens and stuff. And that's what's in the notes in front of you. But you can read out of your translation if you would rather. That's fine. Exodus 5 beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I shall obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep crying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, Pretty interesting dynamic of things happening, and, uh, and so let's kind of just pop through it. Like I said, not a long chapter today. First couple of verses, as I said, you know, the, the, uh, the Egyptians, Pharaoh in particular, would have been familiar with lots of little G-gods. Um, they were filled, the, the country was filled with them. Pharaoh himself would have been considered a little G-god, um, you know, as far as we're concerned. Uh, but, uh, you know, he doesn't know the God of Israel. And uh, I'm sure his assumption is it's not a very powerful God because he's got all his people enslaved. They all work for Pharaoh. And so he, he doesn't think it's anything that he needs to listen to. And, um, and so at first here, he's not worried at all about Moses' message. He had no evidence whatsoever of the Lord's power. Now, it could be that he had heard at some level that uh, of some of the things that Moses had done in front of the leaders. Remember, he had those three things that he could do. He, he could turn his... Uh, he could throw his staff down and it would become a snake. You remember that? And he could, if he did this thing with his hand and it came out leprous and then it was healed. And he could turn the, the water into blood, which he'd used to convince the Hebrew leaders that God had sent him and they were excited. 
Um, so maybe Pharaoh knew about that part, but maybe not. And, uh, and so he, he just didn't think he had anything to worry about. So he, he doesn't listen. And, uh, it, it, you know, a lot of times they don't... You find people don't listen sometimes just because they don't know that much about God and they, they have no respect for Him whatsoever. Um, so that's part of the issue, but it's certainly going on here. And, and yet, uh, as we read on, you know, verse 4... So Moses and Aaron did what they were told. They took their message to Pharaoh as God had directed. They tell him what, what they need to do. God said, we need to go and worship. Let my people go. And um, they're not happening. And the, the result wasn't that they got to go and worship. The result was that Pharaoh says, uh, okay, you know, I, I think basically what he thinks is, so if they, if they need a week off, they must have a lot, you know, they must think they got a lot of free time. Let's, let's double it up. And he says, you're going to still make all the bricks, but we're going to quit giving you straw. And straw was used uh, to make the bricks stronger and more durable. And, and previously, previous to that, the Egyptians had supplied the Hebrews with the straw they needed to make bricks. But now he said, go find your own straw, but don't, don't reduce the quota of bricks. So, so imagine now the workload has, it's hard to, they're having trouble finding straw anyway. They're going around all over. They can trying to get some stubble together to make bricks. They're not hitting their quotas, and the, um, the foremen are being beaten because of it by the, by the slave drivers. Now, the slave drivers would have been Egyptian, and the foremen would have been Hebrew. And uh, they would have been working their own people. And, and so now they've got this big issue. Without the straw, they can't keep up the quota of bricks. They don't have enough people, and yet the pressure is on them to keep pressing in. So the foremen... Um, the foremen are sort of caught in this bad spot. It's interesting with the foremen is that they go directly to Pharaoh, which is a pretty big deal that they have access to the Pharaoh. And uh, they, com they, they complain to him, and they get no movement. So they go run into Moses and Aaron and go, this ain't working. You know, you're not helping us at all. And, and uh, so the foremen are really stuck in, uh, in a bad spot. And what I, I thought about this. They're sort of caught in the middle. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel caught in the middle? You sort of, you're, you're here and there's these, this, this side is pressuring you one way and this side is pressuring you another. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're here. It's a terrible spot. I hate being in the middle, don't you? It's, that you, it's like, oh, but there you are. And, and you, but here's, here's what you need to do. Here's what these guys should have done, I think. I mean, who am I to tell history what to do? But. Let me tell you what to do when you're caught in the middle. <laughs> and you can do it or not. Um, the best thing to do when you feel caught in the middle is don't try and go to either side. Go to God and ask Him what He's up to. Ask Him what He's doing. Ask Him what you should do. Ask Him what's going on. Ask Him what your position should be. Ask Him what you need to do. Ask Him. Um, they would have been a lot better off if they had gone to God and found out what was going on from God because I, I think He tells us. I think he's open. He speaks to us. He helps us in situations. So um, really, when you're feeling that thing of being stuck in the middle, um, you know, because it, it, it feels like a, it's like a no win. Like you're going to, you know, and, then, and that's part of it. So don't, just get with God and see what he's up to. That's the best place to go. So, so when you're feeling pressured by both sides, you, you turn to God, and, and maybe you can find out what he's going to do in the situation. He might give you some insight as to what's going on. It's usually better that way. Um, 
Isn't it fascinating how in, in situations there, there, there's one event and there can be multiple perspectives on that one event? Have you guys, you know, you, you know how that feels? And if you hear one sort of version of it, you feel one way, and if you hear the other version, you can feel completely the other way, and yet somewhere in the, there, the it's in the tension is what you really need to hear, and ultimately we need to get to God to figure that out. So I was just thinking if you ever feel like that stuck in the middle, the best thing to do is, is to get with the Father and find out what's going on. And then, uh, towards the end there, last couple of verses, so, so Pharaoh, rather than letting the people go, has turned up the heat on the people, which is causing them to get really mad with Moses and Aaron. You'll find throughout Exodus that the Hebrew people are mad at Moses and Aaron most of the time. <laughs> so they get used to it. You look, look for some fun stuff as you read this, like... like uh, Moses will, when Moses is mad at the people, he'll go to God and say, your people are making me crazy. And when, the, when God's upset with the people, God will go to Moses and say, your people are making me crazy. And uh, they'll be going back and forth, no, your people. No, no, your people. No, your people. Um, but, but, but Moses is like upset because God's not doing what, what, he, what Moses thought was going to happen. So, so I, I have this thought that what Moses and Aaron thought, they were pretty big deal to go marching up to Pharaoh and say, let, you know, let my people go. Um, I would imagine, because they'd had some success with the Hebrew leaders, and they'd had these few things happen, and that they probably thought that they were going to go, we want to go, and Pharaoh was going to go, have a good time. <laughs> right? And it didn't work out that way. And, and so they're, they're frustrated. Um, here's the thing. Even when God's at work, it doesn't always mean that it goes exactly the way you imagine it's going to go, or the, the way that you think it's going to go. Um, but, and at the same time, that doesn't mean God's not at work. So sometimes, that's why it's so important that we're really connected and we're listening as to what's going on, so that when there are setbacks or situations, our immediate thought is, you know, either God's not in it or God's not for us. Because um, Pharaoh was going to be a pretty tough case. And getting people that had been enslaved for a long time free in one shot was a pretty significant deal that was going to happen. And uh, this, you're talking about two million people. And, and, and so it's a big deal. And, and God's going to set them free. And He's not only going to set them free, He's going to get them paid for the last couple hundred years slave labor too. Because um, they're going to go out wealthy when they leave. And they're all going to leave at the same time. And then he's going to protect them. But it's not going to happen easy. And, and so there's the whole idea of Passover, what's about to start happening is now there's going to be these, these series of plagues that are, going to, that are going to hit the Egyptians that aren't going to impact the Hebrew people. Um, and, and it's going to keep happening. And it gets, it gets harder and harder and harder leading up to the last one, which is the death of the firstborn. And what you need to see at that point in time is... And, uh, why Passover is so important. At the death of the firstborn son, the Hebrew people are spared because they sacrifice a lamb at each house, and they put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. And when the angel of death comes, he passes over every house that's got the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. It's a picture of what Jesus is going to do for us, who's, who's our sacrificial lamb. His blood covers us. And so we have eternal life. That, that we're, you know, when death is passed over, we pass over that part. And we get to be with Him forever. 
Uh, and so, you know, this is a significant deal, and that's what's leading up in that. So that's why it's so important to know about what's taking place at the Passover, because when you read about Jesus being our Passover lamb, that's why. He's going to be the sacrifice for our sin that covers us and spares us from death so that we, we live eternally with, uh, with Christ. Now, you know, physically we're going to die, but we're going to live on forever. So that's all coming, and you're going to see that taking place in these plagues. And when we do communion, you'll hear me talk about part of the Passover celebration that's been celebrated uh, for years, because I'll, I'll, you know, there's a cup of sanctification, then there's a cup of plagues. You'll hear us say that whenever we celebrate communion. At that point in time in the Passover meal, these ten plagues are reviewed so that the children always knew what was happening, so that they remember the story. And, and all of those sort of things were in place so that when Jesus came, there should have been a connection immediately with the Hebrew people. Ah, there it is. That's what we were waiting for. But some of them got it, some of them didn't. Anyway, I thought of this verse. James 1, 2, and 4. It's not in your notes. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Kind of a tough verse because most of us, when we're facing trials of many kinds, do not consider that pure joy. And I get that. And, and take it with how it's meant here. The reason that we can have any sort of sense of that is that in life um, will ultimately teach us if we're following Christ to trust God more. And that's ultimately, you know, what He wants for us. He wants us to learn to trust Him. Even in this situation, um, he's, he's developing, as we've seen all through Genesis, how He was developing people's character to trust Him more. He's on that track again because the people of Israel are going to have to trust Him um, as they go in this journey. And, and um, sometimes it takes, you know, moving through some things and watching God at work to know that you can really trust Him in the midst of everything. And so that's part of the process. And um, so, so ultimately they're going to learn to trust Him as we should as well. Okay, that's enough for Exodus 5. We'll dig into Exodus 6 next week. If you're watching um, on TV or on the live stream, um, or, or if you're watching this on video later, thank you for doing it. And um, love to have you in visit whenever you can. And that's all we're going to do for...